Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original comics from the 1960s, original X-Men comics specifically. Uh, last week I joined with uh, some of my good friends, Mike and Gabriela, and uh, we interviewed a Mr. Juan Ferreira, and uh, we talked about X-Men number 27 called Re-Enter the Mimic, where the X-Men defeated the evil puppet master, uh, who's a great, fantastic war villain full of camp. Uh, Angel's still recovering from some wounds. Cyclops stepped down as the leader of the team, surprisingly. And uh, Mr. Calvin Rankin, the mimic, was put in as the new deputy leader, uh, which is kind of a shock because he's not a great team player. Uh, Today, we're jumping back in with X-Men number 28, which is called The Whale of the Banshee. It was made in January 1967. Uh, The creative team is Roy Thomas as the writer, Werner Roth as the penciler, Dick Ayers as the inker, and Mr. Stanley as the editor, of course. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined by uh, two of my good friends, uh, Heather, my normal co-host. Hello, Heather. Hello. Uh, Dylan from House of X is back with us. Hello, Dylan. Hi. And uh, we are thrilled to have uh, Mr. Sean Isaacs or Isaacsy. I'm going to make sure I say it right. Uh, Isaacs. Isaacs is good. Just just Isaacs. Okay, Mr. Sean Isaacs, who's who's with us all the way from Johannesburg today. Uh, it is midnight his time, and uh, we are <laughs> we are so honored you stayed up late with us. So uh, to begin today, let me have you each introduce yourselves, uh, share your gender pronouns, tell us a little bit about what you might be working on right now, anything you're excited about. And then the question I have to open our podcast today is name a character from any media, books, comics, whatever you can think of, whose code name just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Heather, do you want to start us off? Sure. So my name is Heather and my pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm not sure that I have a good answer for this. I have been thinking about it for a couple days and I could not come up with anyone. And I don't know if it's just because I take people's names at face value and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's fine. Or if I am just not in the know enough for this, but I did not have a good answer for this. Uh, let me throw one at you. What do you think of uh, Cyclops as a code name for Cyclops? I mean, I understand where it comes from. And so like, like I said, I just take it at face value and I'm like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a visor that makes it look like he has one eye. Like I can, I can roll exactly. it. Dylan, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, I'm Dylan. Uh, he, him. I am always working on my own podcast that is called House of X Podcast. And I want to say if, if, like, you're an X Men fan, there's been a ton of characters who've gone by the codename Thunderbird. And there was a third Thunderbird. Uh, that character's name was Neil Shara. He was called Thunderbird and his powers were like fire power. Like it had nothing to do with Thunderbird. There was no reason that they needed to give him that name. So that is my choice. Understood. I, I, I've referenced the documentary I made a few times. Uh, uh, we, we did a true crime, do- true crime documentary uh, and there was a car involved in the crime that was a 1978 Thunderbird. And the production company actually bought the car every time Every time we got it. And I thought of the X-Men because where else do you hear the term Thunderbird? Uh, uh, Sean, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, I, I'm Sean and uh, I go by he, him. And, uh, you know, like I honestly also, like, like here the last couple of days, like I'm back in my brain being like, who could I think of? 
until I read this issue that we're going to go over today, uh, X-Men 28, where there's a guy called the Ogre in it, and there's nothing Ogre-like about him at all. <laughs> like, he has gadgets that he makes. Like, why the Ogre? I don't understand. Is it because of like, how his face looks? I didn't get it. I was paging through this, and I'm like, why is he called the Ogre? It's going to pop out anytime. <laughs> And like, no, he's like a gadget guy. He makes gadgets. He has nothing to do with ogres at all. So that'll be nice. I think that's a great one, which is the reason I brought up this question today. Because the, the character. Well, I figured. Figured, yeah. Uh, my name is Chad. I go by he, him. I actually thought of quite a few. There's uh, there's Dawkin, Wolverine's son, whose name translated, I believe, means trash, which is like a, a, a nickname bullies called him, I think. Cable, the character Cable, that name no matter how you so, justify so, it. So Dak, I thought I thought Dakin was like a wolf thing. I don't I mean I don't know about the trash thing, but I mean, that's that's harsh. Cable I was always like because his arm has cables and it's like, you know. <laughs> I think I think cable he said like I'm a I'm a cable between the past and the future. Like that's oh, right. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. No, literally literally the only time only reason I like cable was because he was the first guy back in the nineties that came came out and when Wolverine tried to intimidate him he was like whatever bro <laughs> whatever i've got this big gun your little the little toothpicks do mean nothing to me i was like i was like i like this guy he's cool uh dylan do you want to clarify docking for us um well i just wanted to say when it comes to japanese terms uh i feel like every word has eight different definitions uh but there is some japanese that use docking as a slur for people who are not full japanese if they're mm -hmm. mi mixed and in a lot of terms it's like means mongrel and so i believe oh God, that, that totally should have been his, his code name like that would be yeah. awesome yeah i believe that marvel gave him that name because he's half japanese and half canadian and dokken was supposed to be like raised and like hated by other people because he was mixed race so he's like uh he's like daredevil and the beast like these are names they got called when they were kids and then they took them on as code names as adults yes um a couple more i thought of uh puck from alpha flight i think he you know like there's like a hockey puck but there's also like the shakespearean character puck but neither of them fit for him um and then i thought of a uh, deadpool i think his name i think the explanation is that he was once in like a, an office there was like a list of people and they were voting on who was going to die and it was like the deadpool which is it's just a stupid code name i know he's really famous but it's a terrible code name uh uh and then robin I mean, like, batman and robin like the name robin has no relevance no i mean like it's, it's, the, it's the bird thing but i mean like i hear you saying i'm like if we go with team stuff what, what about those guys what the sliders the guys that all like the spider-man pretended to be four characters like why are yeah. they call the sliders Oh, yeah, uh, like, the slingers, wasn't it? The are they, oh, slingers, yes. Slingers. Like, what are they? Okay, cool. What are you, what are you slinging, guys? What are yeah. you slinging? It's, it's not like they had web slingers, so it yeah. really did, it didn't tie to anything. No, that didn't make sense. Oh, and then uh, 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 Beak. Beak in the X-Men, too. I know he has a Beak, but that's a terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a great name. Uh, but also, like, for the Shocker, like, does he really have shock? He doesn't really shock people. Does he like the changes that he does? Like it's like a vibration kind of. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm uh, kind of I, thing, isn't it? I'm fond shockwave. of the doctor. 
I'm fond of the shocker and his little uh, his little quilt pattern suit. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh, know dude, if it's a I, great I, name. I, I love I love his quilt pattern suit. Like that, that's awesome. Like I'm I'm all for that. It's very distinctive. But it's, I mean, it's also like Rhino. It's like he's guy with a horn on his head. Like he's one of my favorite spy villains. But he's just he's just dope. He's cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's a name that's just spot on. Obviously, the yeah. Yeah, Rhino. When I was asking my kids this before, my son was like Marvel Girl. That's a terrible code name. <laughs> I'm like, well, but it tracks. It's okay. <laughs> no no okay if you want to yeah if you want to go with the name that's like oh what the, what's the meaning it's like what about what about when uh kitty was with kitty pride was with uh, excalibur shadow cat she got nothing to do with cats there's no cat theme there going on like what, what's that what's up with that <laughs> or uh even nightcrawler right like he's named after a worm i think is the yeah. official cat yeah. i don't know there's a there's a there's a lot out there uh <laughs> Uh, Heather, I kind of expected you to come in with like eight Harry Potter code names or something or something. From <laughs> I mean, some of them, because I mean, they don't really use Harry Potter code names in Harry Potter. Um, but some of the names are really spot on. Like Remus Lupin, his, his parents basically named him Werewolf McWerewolf. I, and, as soon as I heard the Lupin, I'm like, this is not going to turn into a werewolf. Yeah. Sure werewolf. <laughs> and I mean, Remus is also a famous wolf. Yeah, the Romulus and Remus story. Yeah. And so, and they expected him not to get bitten by a werewolf. I don't know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, running a little bit on the nose there. I think yeah. we'll have to have another conversation in a future podcast of characters whose real names are just ridiculous. Like the Vanisher is Telford Porter, right? Like we think like we have a we have a list I think of that's those. Like the cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have that conversation sometime too. Oh man, I, I love I love like ridiculous names, especially like alliteration, right? So like in my like lately, almost every Dungeons and Dragon character I make has his name is like an alliteration of some kind. So like I played a game earlier today where the character's name is Gil Gilfoil. <laughs> and like and like whenever he, he thwarts someone, he's always like, You've been Gilfoiled. That's his thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh Sean, what an honor to have you here. I've been a fan of your art for some time. Uh, and I'm still I've been doing this podcast for you know six or seven months now. But every time I'm meeting someone who I'm a fan of, I'm like, oh my God, like it's uh, it's so incredible to, to sit and meet with you. Now, before uh, before you came on today in preparation, I went and did kind of an in-depth read through of all of your Marvel work and just watching your oh, wow. style and some of the things that you've gotten to do and putting it kind of all in one place was, uh, was really impressive as a fan watching the type of work you're doing. Uh, so I, I'd like to ask you some questions about some of your work, if that's okay. Uh, tell me a little about how you got into uh, comics and art first, and then uh, we'll jump into some of your Marvel work. Uh, I mean, I'm going to try and give you the short version because the long version could keep us here for like two hours. Um, <laughs> because everybody's journey into comics and stuff is, is so completely different. And um, mine in specific, in, in specific was like, there's like a whole convergence of events that sort of happened. Um, so like, uh, in the beginning, I was like, I mean, I've got pictures that I drew when I was three years old and five years old of me trying to draw like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man. And they look, they look awful. Spider-Man is literally just a bunch of like squares with a black squiggle in the middle and just colored red kind of thing. Spider Superman has like a triangle with a Z on it because I spelled it backwards like a kid do, kid, uh, kids do. Um, and so like my, my parents used to read, uh, comics, they used to read like Green Lantern and, and, uh, was like a fan of the ace and stuff. And so I kind of 
saw those lying around and then I remember walking into like a little corner shop and they had like a comic, uh, like a, a book rack and uh, there were some comics on there. And I was like, obviously the, as a kid, I'm like, oh, bright colors, there's red and blue. I want to see what this is. And that's sort of how it happened, you know. Um, it, uh, comics sort of forced me to learn how to read so I could figure out what's going on in the stories. And, you know, as I was a little bit older, me and my mom used to do this thing where um, once a month, because we never had comic book shops around around Johannesburg. It was just like corner stores that maybe had some comics. So like on a Saturday, I would pretty much just take a walk within like a five kilometer radius around my house to like all corner places and see what comics I could get. And once a month, my mom would take me like around the city to different secondhand bookstores. And they'd have like comics that are falling apart in like a box and I'd take those up and find some for cheap. I think it was only like 97. X-Men number one came out in 97, doesn't it? Or 90? Mm, oh goodness the 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 second the series I, I, yeah, think, I feel like it was 92 i feel like it, i might, might be off i think it was 92 though it might be 92. i remember around there sort of when the first uh, the first comic store i saw an advert in a there was a top 40 magazine it was mostly a music magazine and someone like literally it was weird it was like across the shop i was i, we, we, I walked into a video store to rent some movies um with the, fam with the family and there was like a someone paging through a magazine and like for some reason I managed to spot like the smallest little picture on the page because it had like the yellow and blue X-Men colors and like I, I looked at it and as soon as the person put the book down I like ran there and I picked it up and I started paging through it and there was an ad there for like a comic book store in, in Janusburg and I was like what and I was like dad you gotta take me you gotta take me there type thing um and so like I think uh, a couple of weeks later, he ended up taking me to my first comic store and I bought like five copies of X-Men number one. And, you know, we did like a once a month travel there. You know? um, but before that, I would, you know, just save up all my money. Like I never developed a speed tooth as a kid because um, I would tell them, ask my, ask my folks for like uh, money for, for lunch that I can buy at school. And I wouldn't use it. I would just eat my half my friend's lunch. And then at the end of the week, I would take all that money and then go buy comic books with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's sort of like how I started. And then I would I, you know, kind of put myself to draw. I would sit and copy um, like Bob Blades and Iron Man pictures and John Cena Iron Man, like Spider Man pics. And like there'd be like a panel like this where I thought Spider Man looked really cool. And I would try and recopy it on like an A2, an A4 size paper. Um, and I just never stopped drawing. And that's like, that's, and then, Sort of in the 90s, like I know a lot of people give 90s comics like a hard time, but like that's when I really fell in love with, with, with comics. Like my love was there from uh, Teen Titans and New Teen Titans because it was like Dick Grayson and Roy Harper were the two characters. Like I saw myself as those characters type thing when I read those comics because they were also like kids. And so I really liked, and they were like two sides of the type of thing. There's the, the Dick Grayson, like responsible, you know, kind of team leader and he's trying to do the right thing and then there's like Roy Harper who was like oh man I can't want to be like him because he's like cool he's cocky he's just like oh nothing can beat me kind of thing and so I used to associate with those guys and I liked them a lot um and I there were those and then obviously the new warriors as well I'm a big fan of new warriors um but then like you know those issues like 275 268 like those Jim Lee uncanny X-Men issues and the baggy Spider-Man issues, those really like brought my love here for comics to like a whole new level. Before that, it was like 
Burn, uh, Burn Perez, Alan Davis, like the, the big guys from me, and then Jimmy Canyon, and I was like, oh my God, what is this? What, um, was, uh, what was your first work at Marvel? My first work at Marvel was Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the issues of Thunderbolts. So, uh, okay, I don't, I'm not rambling like me, I'm sorry. I tend, oh, no, I tend you're to great. Start, um, so the comic thing, it's, uh, my story is kind of interesting in that like, I tried to, like after high school, I tried it, I wanted to, like I, I was always adamant I wanted to draw comic books. There's no internet, well, the internet was just sort of starting. And um, the plan was, because my family's, we've never been wealthy or anything like that. And we couldn't, we couldn't get enough money for a plane ticket for me to come over to the States to go to Comic Con to show my work, right? So I was just like, how can I make this happen? And the plan was, um, I was going to apply for a job as a camp counselor and maybe like teach arts at summer camps. And then on the off seasons, try to get to cons to show my art to editors and try and get work. And so because South Africa, it was, it was very difficult. Like we have agencies here, but like the correspondence between here and the camp guys, they said could take like months, you know, you can, you send in your, your resume and they kind of look it over and then they kind of get back to them and then they have to get back to you. So it could take a while, but, um, so I went, went there and they said, there is a, uh, an open day on the Saturday where uh, you could basically get hired on the spot if you could impress the because the guys from overseas all came over for the open day. And if you could impress them, you could basically get hired on the spot. So I was like very excited. I was like, this is it. I'm going to impress them. I'm going to tell them I can do this and do this. And that was a Saturday. And on this Thursday, my father arrived home and said he had uh, lung cancer. And if I could just take over the family job while he goes through therapy and that stuff. So that never happened. Uh, so pretty much like since I was like 19, I've been looking after the family and, you know, just kind of doing that. So that got postponed for like a long, long time. And then, um, you know, I ended up working day jobs and putting myself through that design college so I could just do something artistic. Because I like I've had some really awful jobs. Like I, I worked in a sex shop for a while. I was one of those guys that used to, I've got stories, I'll tell you. Um, I was one of those guys that used to walk around to people's cars and look for like holes in their windscreen and ask if I could fix it for a couple of bucks, you know. Um, but I managed to put myself through college and um, I managed to get some work doing some graphic design stuff and worked at two different companies for about eight years together. And then in 2020, 2010, uh, I lost my job. They just kind of, let go of like 20 people in the company and they were like they call us in on the wednesday and they're like hey so uh, friday's your last day and we can only pay you half my salary okay bye like that's pretty much how it went and um at that point i just kind of thought to myself like listen i've been very unhappy just doing design work and trying to do comics on the side you know off time and whatever but um as i i i try to be a positive person and wherever i go and, and just kind of you know look on the bright side of things and try and try and spread it and try and hope the universe kind of uh, pays me back. And so I just thought like, you know what, the universe is just kind of telling me I'm not meant to be here right now. I'm wasting my time. I must, I must take this time to do what I want to do. And so I went and it took me about a year, a year and about 14 months before I started doing comics professionally. I was doing before that, like the first, the first year, was a struggle. Like I was barely getting by. I was doing, I was drawing things I would never want to draw, like ever, just to make a couple of bucks, make some money, 
guys are like guys would like drop me in line and be like hey can you draw uh, wonder woman in bondage and i'd be like i need food this month so yeah i can't do it you know kind of thing um and uh then during that time when i was struggling i ended up finding a, a, a comic uh, an online comic called gutters i don't know if you guys are familiar with gutters where they kind of make fun of what's happening this week in comic books and they were paying so i was like cool let me put my put some stuff forward and be like hey maybe i can do a couple of pages for you and i ended up doing like two pages for them like with quick turnarounds and then i never heard anything and a couple of years later um one of the editors from that website ended up working at dynamite and he remembered me and asked if i wanted to try out for a couple of books so i tried out for like the dresden files um but i didn't get the gig and then i tried out for pathfinder and which was cool because I, me and my role-playing buddies we would sit and play pathfinder on friday night so i was like i'm a big fan of the game i'd love to try the book out and i managed to get that gig and while i was working on pathfinder that's where i met jim's up and pretty much since since i got to a trend since i lost my job i had been sending samples to marvel over the over the course of like six years i had sent samples to marvel like i'd send one uh, send some samples get some feedback and then i would in six months i'd send another set of samples then i'd get feedback and then i'd wait two years and then i'd send some samples because I'm just trying to like level up. And every time I thought like, okay, I've leveled up a bit, I'll send some stuff. I literally, I think went through, I went through three, three talent guys, like three, three guys in that position had left and come back and someone else had come in. And I've been through three of them. So like three different guys had seen my work. Um, and after, um, after Pathfinder, like I did Stray, which is my creator and book with uh, Rita Losante. And so I did work on that and then Eventually, around 2016, I had finished, say, I had finished a whole bunch of uh, Pathfinder and I had like a nice sample of work and I sent them through to Marvel again. And I'm like, this is stuff I've done. What do you think? And they were like, that's really cool. Do you want to do some samples? Do some Spider Gwen samples for us. And I said, okay, cool. Um, and I picked it up, but then sort of around about that time, a lot of advertising work came in. And I said to uh, the talent guys, like, listen, this might take a while for me to get these pages because i'm swamped with actual work now but i'll get them to you and like they said listen it'll take, just take your time just give us your best work and it took me about six months to finish five pages because i was really busy um and sort of when i had finished those samples jim's up had been working had finally his career had gone around and he was now working for marvel and working on thunderbolts and he had like they were i think the, the guy that was on thunderbolts was uh taking a break or something i don't i'm not sure and they were like wanted to get some filler a filler artist and he put like three people a couple people's uh names forward and one of them was mine and so they came to him they're like hey do you want to do you want to try this out because we're hearing your name from jim who enjoyed working with you a couple of years back and you've just submitted some samples that the talent coordinator is showing around and people seem to like it so do you want to give it a try so like my name was sort of coming at two different directions from two different for two different reasons that happened picking year over the course of like six years from different places and they gave me a shot and um i did that before i even finished that first issue that offered me an exclusive because they like my work and i'm pretty easy to, to work with and uh, so that's why i say it's like it's a very 
long story because there's all these different things. It's not like a, I showed up at a place and the guy gave me a job. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I blame. I, I, I don't blame. I'm not saying. I, I think it's just because you. My, my thing is never be a, never be an asshole or be a dick to two people because you never know what's going to happen. Try and be memorable, bring something positive to them, and like down the line it might pay off because they'll be like, you know what, that was kind of cool, and like you know, stuff happens. Yeah, Absolutely, that's, that's, I think I think we often forget what a hustle it is to try to make it big. You get a gig, and then you fight for the next gig, and you fight for the next gig. You mentioned <clears throat> you mentioned the new warriors, which is kind of a composite of young heroes from across you know Marvel that are brought together unexpectedly. You had a chance to do a book like that with the champions, uh, working with uh, working with yeah. Jim Zub. You get kind of a, a, a composite group of different heroes, uh, and you did kind of an epic run. You got to show them. Uh, saving the polar ice caps from the master of the world and Captain Marvel and Alpha Flight come in and the man thing. You got to do an incredible, for our X-Men fans, an incredible uh, uh, issue of a school shooting uh, in which Gold Balls, of all people, is shot and Spider-Man and his friends are kind of dealing with it, Miles Morales. You also got to completely redesign the kids uh, in like medieval gear in like an alternate world. Uh, Tell me a little bit about this magical run of the champions that you did. It was really incredible. It's so it's really interesting when I started. So, so when I started, uh, when I was offered um, Thunderbolts, the, the the biggest thing that draw for me was I get to draw Winter Soldier. Like I don't really care about the other characters. Like Atlas, I kind of like ah, I can't dig Atlas from when I read the original run of Thunderbolts and stuff. But the other characters, I had no real connection with them. I was like, I get to draw Winter Soldier. This was this was like shortly after Captain America Winter Soldier had come out. So I was just like amped for Winter Soldier. And in the two issues of Thunderbolts I drew. He shows up on the first on, in the first issue. He shows up in the last panel of the book, and I was like, "Oh, geez!" And in the second book, he's like on a couple of pages, but he's just like he doesn't. There's no action. He's like he's tied up in, in like a, a a cell talking to Cap, and I was just like, nah. "So." Um, but then I got to draw Cap, and I was very excited because I'm a big I'm a big Cap fan. Um, and then Champions was interesting because I had no connection to any of the characters in Champions when they said, "Hey, do you want to draw Champions?" I was like, yes, I get to draw Teen Cyclops, my favorite character. And they're like, oh, they're like, oh, he leaves the issue before you start. I'm like, oh, God damn it. I'm like, why is this happening to me? So I had no connection with these characters like at all. I mean, I, I knew of them and stuff, but they're like, they're like, like the younger characters. And like, I'm, there's no, you know, like, oh, memory of me following these characters for many, many years. And so I started drawing it and I was like, okay, I'll just do the best I can. But by, by the second issue, I was just so enamored with these characters now. I was just like, I get them, you know. Uh, Jim Jim is so great at writing team heroes as well. And it just felt like I was like I was working on New Warriors and Team Titans at the same time, but it was a different book. But all of the things from the Team Titans and New Warriors that I loved were all getting channeled into this book and I was loving it. You know, and you know, even though I got to like work on you know, Fantastic Four and stuff shortly after that, like I kind of miss those kids, you know, like I, I feel like I've been through a lot with them, especially the school shooting issue, man, like I cried drawing that issue so much because like you had to do, I got links and I had to do research on how like the, 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 the type of things that these kids have to go through, you know, doing like active shooter drills, you know, 
Like, I remember when I was a kid, we used to have a fire drill, and now it's like those aren't even a thing anymore. It's an active shooter drill. And so, like, I watched these videos of how like, these cops are training uh, teachers, these like small young women that just want to like educate kids how to disarm some massive dude. Yeah. And I watch these videos and I'm like, these tears are coming down my face because I'm like, they shouldn't have to do that. This is this is bullshit. Like they shouldn't have to, you know. And then seeing like all these things and the the like the inventions that are made to like hold doors closed and all that stuff. And I had to like channel this in the book, and it was it was very very difficult to like sit and, and draw this because like you're not you're not just you're just not just putting a picture down. You're trying to listen for a very important thing, and you're trying to evoke an emotion on the page you want people to feel stuff not just read a comic um and i think one of my like so one of my favorite pages that i managed to do these is a page where um the the active shooter drill is happening and one of the students is having a panic attack like i mean sure it's a drill it's not real there's not a shooter there but like anxiety and stress of it and the ptsd from made from living through one a couple of days before when gold balls were shot you know it, it, it terrifies these kids and paralyzes them so like you had to draw these these kids now kind of uh the drill happens and then they run to the one side of the classroom and they hide behind a teacher's desk and like i remember trying to sit because it was a full page kind of image and i was like how can i how can i hit this home kind of thing and so the top half of the page it has like the light kind of coming in and it has the teacher and the kids behind the table and i wanted i just put like shadow and empty desks covering most of that page because if this stuff doesn't stop that's what you're gonna have you have these empty classrooms where no one's gonna be there there's not gonna be children anymore and i was very proud of that page but like drawing that page i was like in tears for days you know um but I mean, that's, that was just like an intense thing. And I think that the reward for me came when that issue came out and I had teachers message me on Twitter saying that this is like, it's a very difficult discussion for them to have with their students. And this was how they break the ice. And then the one, the one teacher said that he bought a box of these comics and I don't like the students and he says, read this and you can talk about it. Yeah. You know, that's, awesome. that's, with, that's the reward that comes in there. Like you, you know, when people talk about comics and like, disregard the medium like they can help they can help so many people just cope with things you know they're they're meaning they're meaningful and um you know i was just glad that i was able to contribute to something that could help someone you got to go from there to drawing the big characters right you got to run it in uh, avengers no road home where you got to do a, <laughs> an epic uh romance issue between scarlet witch and conan the barbarian in uh samaria which is amazing uh, also, for our X-Men listeners, uh, Sean got to draw a lot of our X-Men, uh, favorite X-Men characters in Uncanny Avengers, also with Jim Zub, uh, where, where you see kind of a, a team com combination of mutant characters with Avengers characters kind of fighting together for the greater good. And we got to see, you know, Rogue and the Human Torch and Scarlet Witch and Wasp and Quicksilver, uh, Beast and Wonder Man show up. Um, another romance, you got to do Scarlet Witch with uh, Dr. Voodoo, which is... <laughs> You've given Wanda more in her love life <laughs> than anyone has in a while. Uh, oh, man. Tell, us some, uh, tell us some of your favorite moments from these series. Uh, I mean, from 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 that series, I mean, No Road Home, like, uh, it was, it's, again, it's one of those books I wish I could spend more time on. Um, no Road Home was, was cool because, like, at the end of it, especially I think it's issue 10, I got to draw a whole, like, 
then the characters are coming through portals and all that kind of stuff. They, they came through the portals through eras of uh, so if you, if you see where you know the characters come through, you'll like see like the characters at that point that the vision brings through. Each one is from a different era. Yeah. And so I, I kind of I kind of cherry picked some of my favorite looks for them to do, like the classic, classic looks. Um and so it's, like, it's like there was a dull page spread where I think I got like 30, 40 characters on the double page spread. And I like I wanted to add more, but I kind of ended up running out of out of time because I spent like a week on that page. Um drawing Conan beating the snot out of people was pretty dope. I won't yeah, lie. Yeah. Um I mean like and the thing is like with Conan, what I did with the pages where he fought people is I I I, I enjoy trying to choreograph the sword fight. Like if you look like you can see how he moves and that kind of stuff. But I remember getting told like when I was drawing the series, they were like, okay, so a character's gonna show up in this issue. And um I can't tell you who it is. And I'm like, why not? They're like, no, we can't tell you. And eventually, like I made like me and Jim were on the phone, and eventually I managed to get it out of him. And he's like, So it's Conan. And I'm like, You're kidding. I'm like, no, no, he's, he's pulling my leg. Like, there's no way Conan's gonna be in the in Avengers book. He's like, no, no, it's Conan. I'm like, no. And I actually like. I went to all my friends, I'm like, you won't believe who I'm going to draw. And they're like, who are you going to draw? I'm like, I can't tell. <laughs> and I did that for like, I think it was like six months or something. I was like, I can't tell you who's, who I'm drawing, but he's he's really awesome and you'll love it. You know, because I have a lot of like big Conan friends. I have friends that are big Conan fans. Um, and as for Uncanny Avengers, oh, man, there were so many things. Like I loved, I loved drawing Quicksilver in that series. Like I changed his costume a little bit um, from the one that was designed in the issues before that. Like there was just, there's just something about that. I was like, ah, it didn't, it didn't feel like Quicksilver to me. Like it seemed like he had like he had like the high collar in his costume. And I feel like that's like as upside as Quicksilver is, I feel like that's not his thing. And I and I I, I added like some uh like my own backstory to stuff. So if you read that series, that Uncanny Avengers run, you'll see that um Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch both have uh, a necklace that they're wearing. Quicksilver wears it like you, you kind of see it in the sides of it, it's actually under his shirt. And um, uh, Wanda has one as well, but she wears it on the outside. And at one point, um, the the editors, my editors were Tom Briefit and Alana Smith. And at one point, Alana says to me, like, What's the deal with these necklaces that you just randomly put in there? And I'm like, No, I've got a backstory in there that I'd like to tell, you know, kind of thing. And it ties back to um, the fair, the, 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 um, the family that raised uh wonder and uh Pixelver kind of thing and i was like oh there's a little backstory just because it's like cool it's cool like the sentimental show like a soft side of, of pietro and all that stuff um so i loved like drawing him in, in his action shots when pixel was doing stuff like i loved it and i got to like the strobe effects or one of my favorite pages where this where he's like running across the ocean and there's like whales kind of coming out of the ocean and he like runs fast and then runs up the cliff it's one of my favorite scenes i got to draw there um and then of course i've got to i've got to say the the wonder man uh, wonder man and beast issue is like definitely like right right up there because i was like when wonder man issue one came out in the 90s it was like one of my favorite comics as well i was like i used to collect my the wonder man and so when i got to draw the two of them i was like this is this is awesome love drawing that issue dylan did you get to read uncanny adventures i did i i didn't read it when it happened but yes i did read it Oh, thanks, man. Um, also, I totally ship like uh, Johnny Storm and Rogue. Like, I know there's like those uh, weird gambit people, but like 
Johnny Storm and Robert, like in that series, they just worked so well. I was like, no, these guys, they're awesome. They, they're cool. They're like, it's not like, you know, awkward mutant stuff. It's like two superheroes that are really good at their job. And they're both like, like two of the most attractive superheroes in the Marvel universe. Like there's like Sparks to it's all it's awesome. We uh we are getting ready to do a big trial of Juggernaut on our show, and your our uh your imagery of Juggernaut toward the end of your run is so great. I uh, I really really enjoyed that. Your little uh your little Sidorak guys <laughs> that are climbing around trying to fix the mansion was really fun. Uh, and who no, hasn't Johnny? And who hasn't Johnny Storm slept with? We had Leah Williams on a few weeks ago, and she basically said it was canon that he even had sex with Doc and so. <laughs> I mean, dude, Johnny. Storm, you know what? Like, you know what? I love, I love Johnny. I love Johnny so much because he was the first superhero in the Marvel universe. I don't know about DC, but in the Marvel universe, where he was, he was like, you know, everybody's like, oh, I got these powers, this all this responsibility and all this angst, and it's like, I just want to live a normal life. He was like, I got superpowers. I'm a freaking superhero. This is the best thing. My life is amazing. And I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of how I would roll. That's I, I can relate to that. That was him, and I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> You know, and um, if you look back in um, Contest of Champions 2, you can see uh, Johnny Storm and Rogue kind of having a bit of a flirty thing way back then because the two of them were doing like, we're like racing each other, like flying, they were doing flying races and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when they did, when like, and I loved, I loved the Contest of Champions 2. So when they were like an art, sort of like a, will they, won't they kind of thing, I was like, yeah, I'm all in for this, I'm all in. Well, I mean, Sean, you're. Uh, I think, but I mean, also, like, sorry, I, I don't really But also with the 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 Johnny Storm sleeping with that with the darkened thing, I was just like, you know what? Even myself, as a full on heterosexual guy, I have my man crashes. I mean, there are there are exceptions <laughs> where I'm like, you know what? You get a couple of drinks in me, and Chris Hemsworth will be in trouble, man. I will climb that mountain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and and Simulio as well. Those are, those are two very attractive guys. And I'm and I'm full heterosexual guy, but I I can I can I know when there's hot when there's hotness. You can't deny it. I uh, I love a straight man who can admit a man crush. That makes me. Oh. <laughs> that makes yeah, me yeah. Uh, your your uh, your work, Sean, is is beautiful. And uh, for everybody who wants to look up Sean's current work, there's there's been some recent work on Fantastic Four, a current series called Fantastic Four Life Story. Uh, some of my favorite moments. The thing battling Hulk on his honeymoon. Uh, really, really, really beautiful work, man. Uh, One of the highlights of my of my career there thus far, I won't lie. Really, really incredible. It's a it's a stunning issue. Uh, Heather and Dylan, do you guys have questions for Sean? I feel like I've been hugging the like I've been talking a lot, guys. I feel really bad. <laughs> I just wanted to say real quick that you one of the recent things that you did work on was the art for Guardians of the Galaxy. So you got to redo the like the brand new look for Hercules. How cool is that to get to make a look for someone that's so important? Oh, okay. So I didn't work on, on the Guardians of the Galaxy, oh. but Her Hercules showed up in No Road Home and I got to do his design that's right at the end of the book, which again, it kind of sucks a little bit because the same thing happened with Amadeus Cho when he became Brawl. I designed his look and I got to draw him for like one issue before I didn't get to draw him again. Um, Hercules, I got to design his look. He shows up at the end, so I get like a cool splash of him doing that. And then I don't get to draw him again. And then I was working on the normal Fantastic Four series and I got to design their new look, but I never got to draw it because then I went on to Fantastic Four Life Story. So it's very interesting. You design these things, you're like, yeah, 
I mean, I think it's that's that's all I got. Okay, it's just um, but Hercules was cool, man. Like, uh, you know, the, the brief for his design was to try and make him a more mature Superman like figure, like a, a space Superman. Um, and so I was like, you know, you know, trying to make him a bit older, gave him like the racing stripes in his beard, which I thought were cool. I did like, I'm the biggest critic when it comes to, to trying to design characters for myself. Like I, I did maybe 30 different designs of him and I sent about seven, no, about 12 of them to my editors to check out before I was happy. And even once it was approved, I went back and I made changes to it before I put it in the comic. Um, so it was very cool. Like I wanted to incorporate like a lot of his classic look where he had like the, the stuff and like, you know, I, and like have like a strange belt, like the sort of belt thing that's supposed to um, have like sort of a, uh, I think it was Spartan kind of look that I was going for. So it looks kind of like a Spartan helmet, but it also has like a bit of an H look. Cause I, I'm a big fan of like having like the insignia of the hero on the character in some way or another, even if it's just like subtle. Um, with uh, Amadeus Cho, because like he's a Hulk and it's all about radiation. That's why I put the little radiation things on his, on his shoulder pads. And some people don't notice that even. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. Like I was looking forward to trying to, to join Hercules smashing two spaceships, but that never happened. So yeah, that's, that's just how, how it rolls. But I mean, I get, I get to like have my little mark every year, like here and there, and I'll, I'll enjoy it. Um, the Hulk and uh, versus the Thing issue was kind of nuts, um, especially towards the end. Like, honestly, if they give me like another issue, a lot of the stuff fight I got to choreograph myself, you know, Dan, Dan Slott's uh, scripts are, are like loose like that. Like every now and then he'll be like, he'll be like, have some fun with it and I'll choreograph some stuff. There was probably about five pages of content I wanted to add into each of those books, just where in my head, I wanted to have the Hulk stalking Ben through the forest and I never got to do that. Like I had to kind of cut it short. But the biggest, the big knockout punch that the thing does in that issue, I I lost sleep trying to figure that out. Like I did, I don't know how many passes at like rush to try and get it. And my editors were like, no, you need to zoom in more. You need to do this. And they, they were like, you need to push it more. And I'm like, I don't know how much more I can push it. Like I cried. Like I, I would sit there like lying in bed in my med, in my head, just trying to visualize this thing. And eventually I, I put it down and and I, I loved how it came out. I got a lot of yeah, flack on the internet for that. Eh? <laughs> there's this incredible two-page two spread of the thing punching Hulk and like basically his rocky exterior coming off because he's punched the Hulk so hard. It's it's really beautiful work, man. Uh, really incredible. Uh, Sean, I'm a huge fan. I'm excited to see what you have uh, coming forward. Uh, if we're okay, can we move into today's issue? Everybody feel prepared for X-Men number 28. Uh, As I said, I have I have critiques on this, uh, on, this <laughs> on this book. We have so we have some thoughts. Let's begin with uh, let's begin with our thoughts on the cover. Uh, we have the whale of the banshee. We have uh, banshee kind of swooping in, looking very. Uh, very ghost-like uh, uh, as the X-Men kind of hold their ears and scramble away. We've got a mention of the ogre in the bottom corner. What were you guys' thoughts on this cover? Was it effective? Did it draw you in? Yeah, I was drawn in. I especially like it more so after reading the issue because there's always the fact of so many comic book covers actually like have nothing to do with anything that happens in the issue. So like for once, this is something that 
like this did happen in the issue because <laughs> they, they could have messed up and like put Angel there, but Angel was hurt. And so he really wasn't in the issue. Like they could have done a bunch of things that made no sense to the actual interior, but this did happen in the book. So I like that. For any modern fans going back, this does not look like the Banshee that you know and love from uh, Generation X and other places. We also, it's kind of shocking to see the Mimic on the cover instead of the Angel. A lot of people don't even know who the Mimic is in uh, in the, the modern readers, uh, but it's a great cover. Uh, Sean, did you enjoy this cover? Yeah, no, it's cool. Like, it really draws the eye. Like, if, you, if you're walking down an aisle and you, you're looking at a whole rack of comics, you, like, you'll definitely be drawn to it. The red and the, the contrast between the red and like the, the white and green of Banshee is very... It's very eye-catching. So I thought it was really cool. The only thing that throws me off is, is Mimic, to be honest. I'm like, he's a member of the team and he would have fit in so much better. Like, I don't know if they, they must have done that on purpose to make him not fit in because of what happened. But uh, if they'd given, just changed the colors of his costume to have the blue and yellow, like, it would have been cool. But I, I suppose they did that because they didn't want people to think it was Angel either. Heather, are you familiar with the Banshee? No, but him on the cover looks a little bit like a scooby-doo villain and i love it <laughs> i can <laughs> see that so as we uh as we open the issue we see banshee looking uh looking scary kind of swooping in over new york city uh he's screaming using vibration powers which give him kind of a uh ethereal kind of i don't know i don't even know how to describe it he's uh he's made out of like lines like motion lines basically uh, he's using a sonic scream to uh, to make people kind of run away from him. He's giving them headaches. Some people he's mesmerizing so they won't remember he's there. Uh, when he kind of tones his vibrations down, he jumps into an art gallery where he sees a very serene painting that kind of reminds him of home. And he is there for that painting. We get kind of the first look of his very iconic costume with the... Uh, the green and the yellow. He's got the long kind of underarm wings. I don't, know, I don't know what those are called. With the, uh, with the black and yellow stripes, which is kind of he and Siren's iconic looks in the comics. Um, I mean, I mean, I feel like he, he's. This was like, this was like predating the like glider guys that we have today. You know, that have like the little, the little wings and like zip through between the mountains and stuff. So this is like sure. early gliding gear kind of thing right so i wouldn't be surprised if someone read the comic and was like hey you can make this work in your life he stands out his his costume is very original compared to a lot of the characters back then although i wonder how hard it is to like raise your arms up when you've got material connecting you behind it's like a, it's like an underarm cape uh uh dylan are you a banshee fan i uh, i am i i love everyone that's associated to generation x so yeah and i just wanted to point out i love that in newer comics these days when it comes to like siren at least uh i feel like there was decades where they forgot that they wrote that like banshee could like hypnotize people with his powers mm -hmm. and then like in the past few decades or so they've used that power with siren so mm -hmm. yeah in x-factor they kind of brought that to her finally in peter david's run yeah it's uh it's been really fun to see that uh so uh heather uh banshee has a daughter named siren who has the same power set as him in the comic she's a big member of uh several teams across the years um when we jump onto page three heather i know you love the background characters we get into panel one we have a uh, uh mr jones and mrs von brahman waking up like what happened yes. to us our painting is missing I, I know you loved them yes very much <laughs> uh, any any comments you had on their scene there um 
I don't know, they just all are extremely fancy. And then she's like, look at your window display. It's smashed to smithereens. And then they're all wondering, like, why did is only one thing taken? There's thousands of dollars of art treasures laying around. And which is a valid question. <laughs> I mean, Banshee was a, is pretty extra here. He could have just walked in there, used to scream on one person and taken the painting, but he's like knocked out half the city. <laughs> so, been... Like he's so he's such a drama queen. He's like, I've got to knock out everyone. <laughs> like, dude, like like slow your roll. Like, when is enough? Like... <laughs> We jump back to the X-Mansion where Professor X has designed yet another bizarre machine, this one called the M-Indicator. He wants to test the limits of Mimic's powers. Mimic needs to be nearby other mutants in order to mimic their powers. And so he is measuring how far away Mimic can, can fly and still keep the powers. Mimic goes a little too far and his wings shrink and he's got to turn around just in time. And uh, <laughs> Professor X has words with him. Uh, Cyclops is upset. Hey, you may be the new leader, but you know you shouldn't question orders. Um, and uh, Mimic and he have have uh, have some words. What were some of your thoughts on this scene with the X Men? Uh, kind of Mimic fitting in with them, uh, seeing how things go here. What do you guys think? He's really just a cocky little bastard, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Such a dick. I wanted to point out, I love how Angel is hurt, but yet he's still going to put on his uniform and do not, like, why are you in your uniform? <laughs> you, he wants to, you he wants to still feel like issue. part of the team. He wants to feel like part of the team. He's like, hey guys, I'm, I'm still here. Well, yeah. one of my notes, his wings were injured, but here his wings seem fine and he's got his arm in a sling. So maybe he fell down. <laughs> maybe, it's like trans, maybe it's transferred pain. Like. <laughs> yes. It's moving around. Uh, uh, Mimic, uh, we, we've mentioned in past podcasts, is later revealed to be bipolar. And uh, you see like a lot of very angry outbursts from this character uh, over the years. Uh, he has major problems with kind of mania. Uh, uh, it wants to show off a lot. And then when he's uh, down, he gets very, very depressed and quiet. Um, when we get to uh, uh, back, well, well, Heather, do you want to take over with page five for a little bit? Tell us a little bit about the, the Banshee and the Ogre. Sure. So we get back to the well-concealed hideout in the city, as it's called, where the ogre is poring over some maps because he's located the secret headquarters of the X-Men. And then he goes to see the Banshee and he's like, where have you been? And Banshee's like, uh, you know, I have a taste for finer things. And so I stole this piece of art and now I'm smoking my pipe. And then he's like, hmm, I'm out of tobacco. So while the ogre walks away, he's going to go get some more tobacco. So he goes back to Midtown, where he has just stolen this art piece, and then proceeds to steal tobacco that has been imported from all over the world. And um, janitor, I think he is, um, who it forgot to put in his hearing aid this morning, is not affected by him. And so he tries to trap him and lock him in because he's like, oh, he's stealing things and he's knocked all these people out. So I'm going to lock him in and I'm going to go get the police. And the man, she breaks through that with his supersonic screaming. And, but because he went back to Midtown, um, is it, Cerebro picked him back up. And so Cyclops and Professor X are like, oh, we have to find him. And he's usually... And he, his power is more than Magneto's ever made, the machine react, which is saying a lot. 
And then all of a sudden he's gone. And I mean, I can't believe that like that isn't it. him getting tobacco is a plot point for like four what four pages of the book. I'm just like, <laughs> were they really just trying to pad it? They were just like, oh, we need we need full these pages. What can we do? Well, he smokes. I mean, that makes people do stuff. So let's have let's have him go and rob the cigarette place. Like, I I I read this. I'm like, no, it's not just he's using his powers to go and get tobacco. I mean. I've heard of strange motivations before, but okay. We we later learn Banshee's not actually a bad guy. He's got this headpiece on that's kind of forcing him to work with a villainous group that they name here called Factor 3. Now, Factor 3 is going to be a subplot in the X-Men issues for like the next 12 to 15 issues. So Roy Thomas is really putting in some long-form storytelling in place, which is directly opposed to Stanley, who just kind of had done in one or two, you know, sometimes three issues at a time. But uh, Factor Three is going to be in it for a while. We're, we'll we're, we'll learn more about them. Uh, it's just going to take a minute to get there. So I think Banshee rushing out to get this painting and the tobacco is his way of trying to get the X Men's attention so that they can like you know clue in. Hey, come save me! I'm being forced to work for these these jackasses here. Um, I want to jump back to page four for just a second because I forgot how amazing this dialogue is. But there's a there's a spot where mimic or where mimic says to Cyclops, "Flake off, bright eyes." You're just beefing because you're muffed your own shot at Ram, or, that you lost your own shot at Ramrod and this kooky crew, which is just oh, amazing God. dialogue. God. And uh, Cy- Cyclops says, I warn you, you're uh, you're writing for a fall, a hard one. There's a little homoerotic. Uh, <laughs> man, it's it's all throughout this book, man. It's not even, it's all through this book. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> I mean, you're like, guys, like, did you, you kind of want to say like, did any of you guys actually just talk to each other with this dialogue and see how it sounded? <laughs> like, I feel like they are, uh, it's like a big bang theory thing with, um, with, with Raj. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Do, yes. do, do you listen to yourself when you're saying these things? <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we think the Banshee's design, well, I think the Banshee's design is pretty iconic. What did you guys think of the ogre? Uh, his costume, his his character, makes no sense. I mean, <laughs> no, like yes, I get the gadgets, but I'm like the name just ruins everything, and it's just like the like the design is like, what what is those on his chest? I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I like that he. I like that he has a different body type, but the yes. the costume itself and the headpiece and the pink and purple color scheme is just ugh. Like I I, I hate it so much. Yeah, no, I agree, hundred percent. The body top is is dope, like it's cool. I agree with the whole color thing. I just wanted to mention before because I can't remember what episode it is that I was on the first time on your show, Chad. That the villain wore purple and pink too, and they looked very much like Magneto. And then I know from early X Men, like I think it's Changeling also has purple and pink. Mm-hmm. So like they had one color scheme for their villains. Yeah, <laughs> you were uh, you were on X Men Nine where they met the Avengers, uh, and Lucifer was the villain. Yeah, he's yes. uh, this is another terrible design. Uh, uh, Heather, did you like the ogre's costume? Um, I mean, it seems to favor functionality over fashion more than anything. <laughs> but <laughs> I do agree about the color scheme, but I think that the different body type, like you were talking about, I really think that that's part of where his name comes from. 
because they keep making references to his body. And so I think like the writers keep making references. Um, And so like the bulky villain or the slightly obstreperous ogre and things like that, like the writers keep mentioning that. And so I think, I really do think that that's part of where his name comes from. Sure, that makes sense. He's hard to take seriously. Yeah, <laughs> he's not someone I sympathize with. Um, when we get to the scene where Banshee's robbing the tobacco, I love the man who has the hear like his hearing aids out, so he's not affected, and he like just locks him in and does nothing. Ban- Ban- Banshee just like blasts through it with a sonic scream anyway. But there's something kind of charming about that little interaction. I think. Uh, Heather, take us to Metro College with Jean Grey on page eight. <laughs> um. So Jean and. Ted are sitting uh, out on the grass. Yeah, Ted, what did Ted, I say? Ted Roberts is kind of a recurring background character, like a little love interest for Gene at school for these uh, summer. I'm like, I'm like, who's who's this guy? This random, oh, yeah. like this uh yeah, he's a, he's a, the field. He's a bit character in the 60s. Gene Gray's been flirting with him for several issues. Um gotcha. Um and he's reading a letter from home and talking about how his brother Ralph is the family pride and joy, and he's real salty about it. Um, but then the radio cuts him off before Gene can learn why Ted drives himself so hard. Um, and then the radio is talking about the mental blackouts that have happened twice in Midtown Manhattan, and because of you know the banshee having a taste for the finer things of life and having to go steal an artwork and um, some tobacco. So uh, she's like, maybe it's the mutant menace that Professor X has been expecting. And Ted is also real salty about that for some reason. He's like, there's more to that news story than meets the eye. I hope someone looks into it. And Mm -hmm. which is super random for a random citizen to be saying. (laughs) (laughs) But Jean's like, don't worry, Ted. I I have a hunch someone will, and soon, which is foreshadowing. Uh, Ted is a character who puts a lot of pressure on himself. He's an English major, psych minor. He's a triathlete. Uh, He keeps referencing this mysterious brother who he's trying to measure up to. And we will meet that guy. He'll turn out to be a supervillain because, you know. I was about to say, is Ted going to turn to be a supervillain? Because he's seeing like the the guy that's like, oh, I can't live up to everybody's expectations. I must turn bad. <laughs> Not Ted, but he has a he has a brother who is a minor villain who appears in X Men and Hulk comics over the years, named the Cobalt Man. Uh, we'll see him. Uh, we'll see him in several more issues. You guys can look him up. Uh, Dylan, do you know who the Cobalt Man is? I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of rings a bell, but I'm not, yes. I'm not getting a visual again. He's he's relatively kind of obscure, and we're not going to see him for a while. Still, he's uh, he's still got a few issues before he shows up. Now, when we jump back to page nine, we've got the ogre using a lot of tech. He is not a mutant. He's uh, kind of a weapons guy. He's got a pyro projector. He's got a rocket ship that doubles as a submarine. Uh, he's got propello boots. <laughs> he's got repello rays. He's got all kinds of things that he's going to use. But there's a big plot that he's using. He and Banshee have been sent by Factor 3 to try to kidnap Professor X. We're never really told in this issue why, but their goal is to basically draw the X-Men into a 
into a trap so they can get Professor Xavier. So they're launching this uh, into, into effect. Uh, <laughs> these these two villains are quite the little pair. Uh, Sean, what did you think about the, uh, the Banshee and the Ogre working together through these pages? I mean, like, it was, I like, like I like the layers of these pages, to be honest. Um, I can't get over how Banshee's face is drawn. It, it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. I'm just like, who's this, who's this guy? Like, is, is he part, you know, monkey? I don't know. Like, I, would, I was actually going to mention that towards the end or like when we it got It gets worse towards the end. I, it gets way yeah, worse. Yeah. I wanted to be like, when about when he went to go steal the tobacco, like, I don't understand, like, every character in this book, there's maybe if you just look at logistics of faces, there's like, maybe an inch between your lip and your nose. And that's normal for humans. But Banshee in this book, there's like five inches between his lips and the nose. And yeah. Instead of was, a five head, he has a five lip. Oh. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, a, so yeah it's a strange I mean, appearance. It was very, very strange. And like, I remember when I looked at, at, uh, at Banshee's look, I was like, why has he got headgear going on? And I felt like, and then eventually I'm like, oh, okay, now, now I get it. Um, yeah, it was cool. Like, uh, I like that they kind of work together, but not really. Banshee's actually kind of strange. I like that, like, the technique they use, especially for the time to make uh, Banshee look his vibration form, makes him look kind of ghostly, which is, like reinforces the whole Banshee look and stuff, which is pretty cool. Um, I would have liked if, you know, um, the Oka needed like a, like, I think for his like, design, he could have used like a backpack. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, otherwise these pages were cool. Um, no, so, nothing else to go on, really. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, that's okay. So as we jump back in, so Factor Three, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there now. So this is back in the '60s. The reason the group is called Factor Three, and we'll learn it in a while, is there's two major kind of superpowers uh, in the real world involved in the Cold War, right? We've got America and we've got Russia. And the reason this group calls itself Factor Three is it sees itself as like the third major force. Uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. We've got a line in here where someone says, Factor 3, that sounds like a toothpaste. But you got to take yourself back to like Cold War 1960s for that for that reference to make sense. This group has got some clout. We're not going to see them for a little while. Uh, but they have determined where the headquarters of the X-Men are. And so they launch in. Now, Professor X has tried to create some shields uh, to uh, block their ears, but they are completely ineffective. So as Banshee kind of storms the mansion, the X-Men are pretty quickly defeated, all of them. Uh, uh, everybody, Jean's the only one not there. Everybody just get, gets kind of blasted and knocked out very quickly. And then uh, he flies away very fast so that the Mimic can't take his sonic, sonic scream powers. And Ogre rushes in to uh, capture Professor X, literally just kind of potato sacking him over his shoulder to try to get out of there. Uh, tell me some of your thoughts on this initial battle, or, or Banshee's powers especially, I suppose. I feel like they actually had a pretty smart plan because, I mean, Banshee is the one who can knock them all out in one go, but as long as he's quick, the Mimic can't take his powers, and then the Ogre comes in, and he's not a mutant, so Mimic can't take anything from him, and so I think that it was actually decently well thought out, if I'm being real. Yeah, and I think it went very well with uh, earlier in the issue where they showed that Banshee, like, registered on Cerebro or whatever that other machine was, like saying that he's very powerful, like this 
ties into it because he was able to zoom in and take everyone out. But it's weird because then in Marvel Comics throughout the rest of the decades, he's not really seen as that powerful of a mutant. So yeah, he kind of gets on the on the on the back burner then. But like, I mean, as as fans of Generation X, that's when I really fell in love with the character. Like, oh, actually, no, I lie. It was during the Flanks Covenant. Phalanx Covenant, yeah. That's that's when I was like, oh, this Banshee guy's dope. Um, but I also really liked him when he showed up, and I think it's X Men. I think it's two seventy five when they are when you know they kind of meet the. It's the, it's, the, it's one of the Gatefold cover. I think it's 275 to 78. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the issue number. Yeah, yeah. when they got the same, they basically got the same costume, and then she has the blue, blue and yellow version of his, of his costume. And I was like, let's do that. That dude's cool. The first time I ever met Banshee in the comics was a, it was a black and white issue, actually. It was printed, yeah, I think in black and white. And it was during the time he had throat cancer or something. Mm, yeah. and, I was, and I was just like, Oh, this guy's kind of um, i basically found out about him and sunfire in the same issue and i'm like i like that guy's mask and i like this guy's sideburns they're cool like i want to read more about them you know i uh i like banshee i think he's a problematic character to have on a team sometimes he's got a complicated power set uh, although they've done it with siren a lot more i suppose uh uh dylan what was your first exposure to banshee uh i think it was generation x Okay. When I was younger. So, or the Phalanx Covenant. Yeah, same thing. So, Heather, there's a series called Generation X in the late 90s where Banshee and Emma Frost start a new school for mutants. They're kind of doing the Professor X thing, like, you know, training an up and coming generation. And it's it's a big favorite for a lot of people. So, that's where a lot of people know him from. Um, Love that. Dylan, tell us about the ogre's fight with the X Men. Yeah. After he sneaks in there and takes Xavier, then uh, Jean finally shows up and it's very weird. She just uses a stick to trip Ogre as he's running away with Xavier. And then she starts fighting him and then the rest of the X-Men show up and start attacking the Ogre and he's using his tech to like fly over, over the place and then blast them with like wrist blasters. Uh, again, this, his name does not fit with what he does. Like he should be like Machine Man or something because <laughs> he has something to take out all of them and i'm assuming some sort of like super strength because he punches mimic and it like knocks him out and no, so, I, get, I get the impression that he's stronger than average by just by that panel alone i'm like yeah, that really reinforces yeah. throughout the rest of the book but i kind of pick that up like yeah because they don't mention him having some sort of suit that gives him strength so it's like his only power even though he's not a mutant mm -hmm. uh but yeah he kind of quickly takes them out himself. And then the one thing that like knocks him to the ground is Xavier rolling. And like Xavier's like, wow. we don't need to have like superpowers to take people out. And I thought that was ridiculous. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And uh, then of course, Banshee shows back up. There's a, there's a panel on page 11 where Jean, and this is so unlike her, uh, she calls him short, dark, and ugly. She shouts the, <laughs> at the ogre as he's flying away, which is, I don't know, Heather, did you did you enjoy that taunt? Yes, I mean, especially because I also love what she follows it with. If you're so hip on the X-Men, why didn't you know there are gal mutants too? Like, roast him, sis. 
Oh man, no, there's a there's a line a little bit later on that I remember reading it being like, I can't even with these with the, with, with, with these, these guys like come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On page I'll, I'll you, on on I'll page thirteen, Cyclops says, "Let's take a whack at him, guys." And Jean says, "What do you mean, guys? I'm in on this too." Which we like see her standing up for a little gender inclusivity here. I love that. Yes. No, no. My problem is like I think page uh, on the app is by the the Marvel, the Marvel Unlimited app. It's on page sixteen. Where she hands him a, a pair of pliers and he's like, You're a client. <laughs> I can't. You're a credit to your gender, Jeannie. And I'm like, Why? Why is this in there? Like, I, I, I cringed so hard, I almost hurt my back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of references to her being a woman. They like to talk about it regularly, they call her girl and female. <laughs> And say things like, oh, you're smart for a girl. And it's it's exhausting because she's like a lot of our favorite characters. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we, we see her. Yeah, but uh, but the, the, the interesting thing is, like I've, I've seen there's another artist uh, online who's literally doing like a collage um, of all the mutant, female mutant characters. And like the the X-Men and the mutant side of, of, of Marvel have like the most female characters out of everyone. Like, like I can count like a few like Marvel uh, Avengers female characters, but like when you think when you look at like X Men, X Force, New Mutants, all the X people, like there's like a massive amount of female characters in there. So it's very ironic that this is like how this this started out. Yeah, we're on issue twenty eight. We're on issue twenty eight, and uh, we only have one girl X Men, and they've only faced one girl villain, which is the Scarlet Witch. That's uh, that's it. There's been no other no other women across the board. Oh, did you guys notice? Uh, I guess Heather, for you specifically, last issue they got new costumes. What did you think of their new kind of streamlined costumes here that Jean made? I think it's. I think they're nice, and I definitely prefer her mask to her cowl. Mm -hmm. The poodle, the poodle ears are gone, and it used to be like really blocky yellow, but now there's like more streamlined with more blue on the sides. Yes. It's uh, it's it's a nicer look. Uh, Dylan, what's been once Banshee comes back into the picture? What happens? Uh, he shows up and he quickly knocks out all the X Men and him and the ogre go back to their little ship that they have to to formulate another plan like it's so weird that like there's like a battle and then like okay everybody got to a draw now everybody go back to your own sides and then think about your next plan like what no that's not how comic books work mm -hmm. you're supposed to fight and then somebody gets defeated you don't get to go back to your your side of the gym and rethink a plan <laughs> and attack again <laughs> but yeah that's what happens uh they go back to their ship the x-men go back to the mansion and then Banshee goes in to attack again, and the X-Men are ready for him this time. And they are able to quickly sedate him and then put him in a, a vacuum chamber and a suit. Like, they quickly take him out and then put him in a suit and put him in a box. It's for parts of the issue where things seem to drag on this part happens very quickly they take him out and then suddenly it's like 20 minutes later the uh the artist was like fuck i drew too many pages of banshee stealing tobacco now i don't have enough room to finish yes <laughs> the fight scene we uh we get this ridiculous uh professor x has analyzed 
Banshee's powers, which has allowed them to make like ear shields. They're 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 putting wax in their ears to block his powers, which I you know that's a that's a good plan, I suppose. But it seems very rushed. Like uh, it's a good thing the villains went away so that the X Men could create their their new ear shields. Uh, <laughs> but I like how like none of them are, like no one's actually using their powers to beat the bad guys. It's all about the gadgets. Even the X Men, they're like, oh, he has a there's a gas pellet and a, a net and all these other things. We're not going to beat each other into submission. It's Except, a, oh, go ahead, Heather. I was just going to say, with the ear shields, like the substance, whatever, why does Jean have to put it in everyone's ears for them? <laughs> because <clears throat> says, Jean, will you apply some of the substance to my own ears now, please? And... Then it says a few minutes later, after Jean Grey has similarly aided Iceman, like she's, why does she have to touch everyone's ears? They all have hands. <laughs> this is also the scene that Sean referenced, where Jean's uh, telekinetically handing Beast what she says are pliers, but it's actually a screwdriver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm like even that they got wrong. I'm like, did you do it on purpose just to make her look bad? Like, <laughs> yes. And Beast says, you're a credit to your gender, Genie. And on my page, I just wrote the words, fuck off, Beast, because mm -hmm. I don't need you. Uh, we also see Mimic kind of razzing Professor X on these pages. He calls him he calls him Chrome Dome and Skinhead, which I don't think the other X-Men could get away with. Uh, he's uh, he's calling Charlie out for being uh, for being bald, which is ballsy. I, I don't know. This man can shut your brain down. Uh, there's some boldness. I do think the X-Men use really amazing teamwork to get uh, Banshee captured. It's quite impressive, the, this containment device that they've placed him in. Although he just looks ridiculous in his little gray containment suit floating around in there. <laughs> he just looks he just looks really stupid. Uh, uh, Sean, did you enjoy these pages with these these battles? No, no, I thought they were cool. I was, I was just always like, why... Why is Jean putting like this massive, like circular pack thing in her mask, and then like a putty on on Xavier? I'm like, shouldn't you, aren't you, don't you guys have the same stuff? But like, you've got to put like the whole container in your mask. Well, that's you've got to put like this. Like that didn't make sense to me. Um, like the 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 page where Beast says that that thing to Jean, like, okay, that's just ridiculous. But I like like. Beast pose in that, like that on that panel, like it looks really cool. And I like that the, the costumes are so bright there. Um, no, the fighting's cool, man. Like I'm I'm just digging the the like basically what the, the artist is doing with Banshee to get his powers on. I like I'm a little bit confused by the coloring on um Mimic's mask. Like he's got this like yellow in the middle of it, and his his shades are just kind of funky. <laughs> I hate Mimic's costume. I think it's awful. Like it's, it's so bad. It's so bad. I might um, prefer I might prefer Ogre's costume to Mimic's, and that's saying something because Ogre's has gone awful as well. Yeah, I'll, I'd like Mimic's if they just changed the colors, like the the orange and red. Just I'm like, but why? But why? And the giant letter M. It's uh, it's repellent to me. Ogre sneaks back into the mansion with a uh, a giant repello gun, which is frankly pretty ballsy. He's determined to kill the Banshee at this point. And Banshee knows because he can read lips through the glass, which is <laughs> maybe a modern writer can remember that Banshee can read lips. Uh, but uh, Cyclops quickly destroys Ogre's gun and Ogre tries to uh, tries to get away. He jumps out. What happens? 
the mimic takes Banshee's powers. It finally happens, and uh, and he's that. Yeah, because because the, uh, the mimic was around them long enough to get it. Yes, and, and like you know, the, it's strange that like his powers are like that in, in this issue. Like he doesn't just get powers within the vicinity. Like he has to like you know rev the engine a little bit and be like, yeah, okay, almost there. Like timers, it's just like ticking. It's like it's not a fast acting absorption thing that he's got going on here. Uh, Ogre hits Mimic with a couple of wrist rays, and I uh, <laughs> Mimic thinks to himself, I've set up a sonic barrier against his repello rays, but I still feel like a tossed salad, uh, which we will just leave that comment right there. Mimic likes a tossed <laughs> oh, salad. No, no, no. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> uh, and uh, on page 20, we get some surprise reveals about Banshee. Uh, what happens? Well, I mean, he, we find out he's a he's a good guy. Actually, he's being controlled by the ogre. I mean, like I feel like the ogre could have just controlled him if he just withheld any tobacco from him and said, like, "I'll you you can have a smoke if you do work for me," kind of thing. Um, and also, he looks like uh, he's from Banshee. Ends up looking like uh, someone from like a Doctor Seuss thing on yeah. the last page. Like it just <laughs> like, it me out. Yeah, it's like he's right. Like, oh, are you gonna ruin? It's Banshee, are you gonna ruin Christmas for everyone? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks like a who. Yes. He does look like a who so much. It's um, almost it's, it's almost like the artist was really trying hard to distinguish Banshee as Irish. That he leaned into the characteristics hard enough that it comes across almost as a caricature. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's very strange. Um, yeah, so Factor 3 has put this domination headband on, on Banshee that will blow up if he tries to betray them. So he's been using his powers this whole time to try to get the X-Men to, you know, but the, the ogre had to be defeated before they could get the, uh, the headband off. Dylan, do you have a domination headband? No. <laughs> what? May, I, maybe. I, I could may, swear I used to sell them when I worked in that sex shop that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I might have other things, but not a headband. <laughs> uh, we get to see Banshee back uh, later. Uh, he eventually kind of rejoins uh, the team in the future issues, actually. Uh, and he becomes kind of a long-term ally of the X-Men. Again, his daughter, Teresa, who becomes Siren. So this is, this is the introduction of a long-time fan-favorite character. Uh, in Giant Size X-Men, when Storm and Nightcrawler and Wolverine show up, Banshee's part of that team there, too. So... He's a character that we see a lot through the mythos, uh, but he doesn't tend to be anybody's favorite, uh, except in Generation X, where frankly, he takes kind of a background role most of the time. Emma Frost kind of dominates him, with not with a domination headband, although she could, uh, but she, <laughs> she tends to take most of the story time away from Banshee, I feel like. Heather first and then Sean. I was going to say, Emma Frost does not need a domination headband to dominate anyone she wants. No, I mean, she doesn't even need her power. She literally just uh, yeah, exactly. in the room and it happens. It's just get real. Um, no, no, no. Like, I, I, if, like, I think it's been a long time since I read Generation X, but I remember like Banshee had like one or two issues that were just like, we got to like show off and flex a little bit. Um, I can't remember the exact issues or what happened. I just remember that that's why I kind of dug in because we got to do a couple of cool things. You know? Well, we even saw a version of Banshee in uh, in X Men First Class, right? Uh, yeah, there was a crappy version there. Yes. It wasn't great, but you know, he made it. Uh, no, the, the the worst version was Havoc in that in that movie. Like 
hula hoop man like come on guys his powers are very basic you could have made that no problem but then he has to do these energy hula hoops <laughs> <laughs> now like, uh, we'll have to have a whole separate podcast about me ranting about x-men movies <laughs> we can't, we don't have a lot to say i think now this is for all of you I, i'm going to presume none of you have read this but i can't guarantee it so in the 90s late 90s kurt busiek launched a series called the thunderbolts which is a group of villains trying to reform we've seen it done a lot of times since then but in his original run he drew upon a lot of old x-men continuity the ogre literally never appears again he never shows back up and in i think it's thunderbolts number 33 in the late 90s uh, the the Thunderbolts have moved into a mountain base called Mount Charteris in Colorado that has been used by a number of villain groups over the years. And he ties in a bunch of storylines. One of the villain groups that used this mountain was Factor 3. And we get a storyline about the ogre where he basically went back to the mountain and just kind of waited for Factor 3 to find him. And he ended up being there for a really long ass time. He just he grew a beard. He's just kind of kicking it. Uh, oh, and, then, and then they tie in this character, and this is a, this is a whole separate podcast. There was a, there was a, a a magazine called Foom, uh, which stood for Friends of Old Marvel, and there was a promise. I think it was in the seventies. There was readers could write in and create comic book characters, and the winner of this contest would make it into a Marvel issue. And the, the it never happened. They announced the winner was this bizarre character created by a kid named Humus Sapien. And he never made it into an issue. And so when the ogre was reintroduced at Mount Charteris, they also brought in this character, Humus Sapien, who had won this contest like 20 years before. And uh, ogre, wow. and ogre and Humus Sapien have this kind of uh, series of issues with the with the team, and then they go off into another another dimension together. So, uh, so the ogre never appears for like thirty years, and then they tie him in with this old archaic character. So, if you want to know more about the ogre, look up uh, the Thunderbolts number. I think it's numbers thirty three and fifty five are the the major relevant issues. Uh, but it's really fun. I, I adore uh, anytime uh, writers take in old characters and dust them off. It makes me happy. But you'll never see uh, the ogre again anywhere else. No, no, no. What happened was what happened was after this, the ogre went to the mountains, and for the, like the past twenty years, he just tried to figure out how he could get his code name to work with these outfits. <laughs> yes, in his purple and pink. Because who doesn't want an ogre who's purple and pink? That's who's uh, purple and pink, and make that has gadgets. Uh, if you guys think about this issue, what was your single favorite moment or or single favorite most ridiculous moment? For me, it's Professor Xavier doing the log roll. He's tied up on the ground. He just rolls and knocks the ogre over, even though he could zap his brain because, you know, telepath. Instead, he just rolls on the ground and knocks him over. That's my single favorite if I had to choose one. Uh, for me, I'd say it's, 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 uh, it's so ridiculous, but just like every scene where it's just Banshee sitting smoking. I'm just uh -huh. like, like, that's the thing. He's just like, he, whenever he's not like flying around in his like ghost Banshee form kind of deal, like vibrating form, he's, they, the, the artist is drawing him smoking. Like, uh, I think that what my favorite was is where he's like, oh no, I've run out of tobacco. I'm just like, and I'm like, oh no, this is gonna be a plot point, isn't it? But it's, it's gonna be that. I'm just like, I'm just like, I never. It's one of those like plot twists, and I'm like, oh god, I never saw this coming. <laughs> 
I would agree with the whole tobacco thing in Banshee, but mine's for a different reason. Like, why does he smoke or like tobacco so much? Because I feel like his lungs are needed for his powers. Hmm. And it just seems yeah. like an oxymoron. Because he's Irish. <laughs> uh, Heather, what was your favorite moment? Uh, I think it was probably when Jean appears and she's like, why didn't you know they're gal mutants too? Just because that's just ridiculous, but yeah. I also stan. <laughs> no, not exactly. I was in. Come in the end and just pwn that feud. Um, next issue, uh, we have the Mimic versus the Super Adaptoid. The Super Adaptoid is a robot that has all of the powers of the Avengers, and the Mimic is the, the, the guy that has all the powers of the X-Men. And it's kind of a it's kind of a crazy fun issue. Tell me some of your thoughts just on the cover as we look ahead. Uh my first thought is I would love to just redraw that cover. Like it looks it looks cool, man. I, like, I dig it. You got uh, I, I like that there's you know, the, like the wings are like kind of sticking out. Like I feel like characters with wings, like a lot of people don't use the wings in a way that makes them majestic enough. But I also like that the Super Adaptoid is clearly twice the size of Mimic. So that's kind of cool. The villain's outfit. I am like, oh, this villain just has all green. That no, seems... I mean, that's how you know he's a villain, right? Because he's got Yeah, <laughs> it just seems ridiculous. I like that the action is simplified a little. We had a, a long run where they crammed so many characters onto the cover, but in this we get one major battle between two characters and then the X-Men's heads kind of off to the side. Uh, Heather, did you have any thoughts on the cover? Um, just similar to yours, I was just thinking how clean it looks comparatively to what we've been seeing recently. It's just very, it's not as chaotic. They still get all the most of the characters in there, but it's not as chaotic as a full-on fight scene involving everybody. Well, and next issue, we get to see some of the plot lines or, or the, the characterizations of these characters start to advance a little bit, which is nice. Uh, it's been in a holding pattern for a little while. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to go back and walk through these with you guys. Uh, I hope you guys had fun reading this uh, today. Going back to the 60s books is always fun, especially when we get to see the first appearance of a classic character. Um, next week on Grey Malkin Lane, we're going to be back uh, with the really incredible novelist, uh, Tristan Palmgren, who's written books featuring uh, Domino and Outlaw and has a book coming out uh, starring Elixir and Anol in a little while. Uh, we're really excited to have Tristan uh, joining us. Um, uh, Sean, you are wrapping up Fantastic Four Life Story right now. What can we look forward to from you coming uh, coming in the next few months? Anything that you're able to tell us? Um, so, I, like, I literally just finished uh, Life Story on Friday. Um, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, I, I pretty much just said it's been, like, a, a very rough uh, year. Like, I started... I started Fantastic Four Life Story like a year and two months ago, and it's like six issues, 30 pages each. Um, but like during that time, like I got COVID, I had a lot of deaths um, over the past year, and family drama, and it's just been, it's just been really rough, rough. So like the last couple of issues, like we had to get help in with some art and stuff, because yeah. I was just working through burnout through the last couple of issues. Um, so I just told them like I need like a week break just to, you know, kind of get some admin done, like tidy up workspace and just kind of uh, rest my wrist because it's been killing me and just kind of try not draw anything for like at least a week 
and then kind of ease into something else. And I think I think they'll, they'll probably give me a bit of a break during between Christmas and New Year uh, before I start really diving into stuff again. So I don't know what's next. Um, I know there's some things that I'd like to do. I'm, I'm busy. I'm using some of my time to like pitch story ideas uh, that I'd like to not just be a, you know, a, a pen jockey uh, all the time. I'd like to tell some stories. Um, even if they're just short ones, like they'll make me, make me happy just to contribute a little bit. Uh, I, uh... So I don't know. It's a sobering reminder that we, we, you know, we've all got, it's been a rough couple of years for people. We've got friends and loved ones who are going through tough times right now and thoughts and prayers um, uh, or, you know, whatever they, that's what they say after the school shooting. I hate that. I just said that. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm like yeah. <laughs> no, but I, mean, I, get, I get what you mean. Like if everybody's just trying to get by and it's just like a little bit of, I mean, we could all use a little bit of empathy for our neighbors, you know? Yeah, we uh we really appreciate you spending your uh late evening with us. It's not even late evening. Your your middle of the night with us uh to talk oh, about. Oh yeah, it is. Comments. It is one thirty a.m. I'm probably gonna have a cup of coffee and just be in front of the TV for like half an hour before I go to sleep. That sounds that sounds perfect. Uh, so for those of you that are here, uh, uh we'll go Heather, Dylan, and then Sean. Uh, where can people find you online? And do you have anything coming up in your life or in your work that people uh, should be excited about? Heather, you first. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Heather underscore Beth underscore. And I never really have exciting things happening. I'm just chugging <laughs> along. It's, it's fine. I feel like I should follow anyway. <laughs> yeah, if I can spell. I'm sometimes funny. <laughs> You're very I like funny. funny. I like funny. You seem rad. Thanks. <laughs> And Heather underscore Beth Dave. underscore. I'll send it out. I'll, I'll send a link to you, uh, Sean. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's why it makes it, makes it easier. Then I'll follow both of you as well. <laughs> and then Dylan? Uh, everybody can find my podcast on Instagram and Twitter if you just type in House of X podcast. And uh, my podcast came from a Facebook group of the same name, House of X. So, if you're on Facebook, go and join that. We talk about X-Men stuff all the time. I'm in that group. It's fun. And I love your podcast. Uh, and Sean, where can people find you online if they'd like to follow your work? Um, I mean, just Google search Sean Isaacs and you'll find me in all the places. I used to be a lot on DeviantArt, but I don't think I've been on there for a few years. Um, uh, otherwise, it's Sean Isaacs on like it's on Twitter, at Sean Isaacs on Instagram. is also like at like there's no alias or anything it's just, it's just made, i just thought i'd do that so people can find me easier and you can find gray malkin lane uh on instagram at just gray malkin lane or on twitter at gray malkin pp like podcast i'm posting there regularly i keep my own social media private just because i got kiddos uh but i'm regularly interacting with people through the uh through the uh both twitter and and instagram feel free to reach out uh dylan and heather thank you so much for being here and sean in particular thank you for sharing your your talent and your stories with us i uh, i'm a huge fan i look forward to whatever's coming next Thanks, uh, i'm sorry i talk so much it's, i do it every time and then i just didn't feel guilty the rest of the night being like oh my god i talk so much i, it's, I from, it's from being stuck at home all the time and you're just like not for it and i'm like oh i get to be social for like an hour oh i see you know I am not only not upset that you shared a lot, I am very inspired by your story and I love what you had to share with us today. So please don't waste an ounce of time feeling guilty. Uh, like uh, everything you said today was wonderful. I'm, I'm thrilled you were here. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was awesome. Thanks for inviting me. I was very excited.
I'm uh, I'm so excited to have you here. I uh, okay. Well, everybody, we'll see you back next week on uh, on Grandma Lane. Lane. Uh, happy holidays to everybody. We're gonna be in the middle of the holidays as this comes out, uh, and uh, we'll see you soon with uh, X Men number twenty nine. <laughs>